Hey everyone, my name is Jordan Standup. I'm the assistant editor at Yeriwaze. Welcome to The Lead, where we discuss the news and events happening in the community of Ganawage. In this episode, we cover topics such as July's COVID-19 outbreak, a community-wide discussion concerning a community watch, as well as other news and events including James Day's haunted drive-by, the paratransit bus, and the pop-up powwow. Escape the chaos of the everyday and enjoy the waters of the St. Lawrence River with Splish Splash Sea-Doo and Boat Rentals. Experience the most incredible selection of 2020 Sea-Doo's available, as well as our new 22-foot pontoon boat. With a group or on a solo cruise, we've got a fleet of four Sea-Doo's equipped with sound system for your water adventures. Sit back and relax with our driver on the 12-seater pontoon for a four or seven hour ride. Visit Splish Splash Rentals.com or call 438-871-1587 for booking information. Hey everybody, my name is Jordan Standup. Today I am joined by our editor and publisher, Mr. Greg Horn, and we are also joined by our contributing writer, Mark Lone. So gentlemen, thank you for being in today. And Greg, how are you doing today? I'm not doing too bad. Not, right. too, not bad at all. Excellent. I'm real glad to hear that. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing so great. I have to be two people just to handle it. I really hope that you guys uh, enjoyed a, a few days off. We had a, a real, uh, a nice, much-needed vacation that we're just starting to uh, to get back out and stretch our legs. We're coming back into the office, so I hope you guys enjoyed your time off. Oh yeah, it was nice and relaxing, and it was nice to not have to to, to do anything for a few days. So that was the fun stuff, but unfortunately, we got to get down to business. We got to talk about some of the stuff, and uh, it's impossible to not talk about COVID nineteen in this day and age, obviously. And unfortunately, we also had an outbreak in the community in July. And Greg, I know that, of course, since the start of the pandemic, you've been following everything so extensively. Can you tell us a little bit about the outbreak that we experienced out earlier this month? So the outbreak was kind of contained to one cluster, one group of people. I think there was about 20 active cases at once. We had Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Phillips and Lisa Westaway on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we talked a little bit about it and Lloyd was saying that it was the highest number of our second highest number of active cases that we've seen at once since the pandemic began in March 2020. So it was a significant number. One of the things that Lisa had noted was that out of all of the, the cases, there was one person who was fully vaccinated and one person who was partially vaccinated and, and the rest of the people who were affected by it hadn't received any vaccinations. She said that uh, they were going to be looking at some of the data and just to see what that means for the community, what that means for the vaccine, what that means for the pandemic as we go in the community. They were both very clear to say that it wasn't unexpected that we would be getting more cases of of COVID-19 in the community, especially since things are opening up, uh, some measures are being relaxed, there's more visitation, there's more activities going around, so, so people are having more contacts. And that was one of the things with this outbreak. There was about 20 active cases, but there was about 100 people who were considered contacts of, uh, of these cases. And a, a large number of those contacts, though, were people who were fully vaccinated. And luckily, the, the outbreak didn't extend past that 20 or so number. Well, looking back at, you know, trends and everything like that and how much you've been following the pandemic, you talked about how Lisa said it wasn't it was a surprise that the, the number is a surprise. However, the idea that it happened is not so much of a surprise because they are telling people remain vigilant. A lot of people are talking about the fact that maybe a lot of people who are double vaccinated might have been getting a little bit too lax. Are you hearing anything like yeah, that? Yeah, you know, and that's and that's one of the things too, right? Like uh, people, when people hear that the vaccines have a 
percent efficacy rate. And a lot of people are have that feeling once they're va- considered fully vaccinated that they're invincible. You know, Lisa also explained in our previous podcast that the goal of, of the vaccination campaign isn't to prevent COVID. It's to prevent the very serious side effects that could happen to, to people, especially people who are elderly or in the high risk groups being vaccinated it almost if you contract COVID and you're you're fully vaccinated, the amount of viral load that's that's in your system is is much lower. And then therefore the chances of you spreading COVID-19 to somebody else who's not vaccinated are significantly reduced to the point where it's almost impossible. Again, there's nothing that's impossible. So it's just one of those things that to safeguard the most vulnerable people in the community. Right. And of course, uh, talking about that, we all must remain as vigilant as possible. Of course, it comes at a very interesting time also because the vaccinations are still being carried out here in the community. And also we keep hearing, more, well, throughout the last couple of months, of course, we've been hearing about the variants that are related to to COVID-19. And of course, there's the Delta variant, which is becoming more and more prominent, it seems, on a, on a daily basis. And Mark, you've been following a lot of this with uh, terms of Quebec directive. So what are we starting to see a little bit outside of the community? Well, there's been a a really good trend in terms of vaccination rates in Quebec as a whole. They're hovering around 60, 61% as of this morning for a second dose. That's great. Where they're trailing behind a little bit is young people, 12 to 17 year olds, either for whatever reason, a lot of it is being handled through the schools. Like for instance, my daughter's vaccination appointment was sent to me through her high school. Whereas my son, who just finished elementary school, I just got him to a walk-in shot and he got his shot as soon as he turned 12. So there's been some inconsistency in terms of how the government has been delivering the appointments for the 12 to 17 year old age group. That's my my suspicion is that that's what's causing the lag in in vaccination. I don't think it's uh, ill will on on the part of parents and I don't think it's any sort of negligence on the part of teenagers. I just think it's a a disconnect between the way the government is communicating those appointment times and the way parents are receiving them. So I think there's some communication that can be done. That being said, love what the Quebec government is doing, uh, instituting uh, a lot vaccination lotteries. Anybody who's been fully vaccinated up until I believe August 30th with their second appointment dose is eligible for these these weekly drawings. There's going to be a lot of bursaries being pulled for 12 to 17 year olds as well. So I think that and frankly, I mean, the the enticement factor is there, the motivation is there. And I just think from an infrastructure standpoint, uh, where they're lagging is the Quebec government's ability to uh, get these appointments done and have it, you know, regulated on the portal, the Santé website, which, as everyone knows, is as buggy as the woods in July. And I think one of the one of the things to, to know is that getting vaccinated is a personal choice and whether you choose to, to be vaccinated or not, it's up to you, right? Nobody nobody can force somebody to get, get vaccinated unless, you know, you're a teenager and under the age of 16, then your parents can tell you. But otherwise, it's everybody has their own their own choice in the matter. But the goal is is to have 70 plus percent of any population to be vaccinated to help put an end to this pandemic. Because the only way that the pandemic can end is the population of the world needs to get to a certain level of immunity in order to, to stop the transmissions, right? So, and once people have either the vaccine or have gotten COVID and developed immunities, then once your body, once you come in contact with the virus, your body knows how to fight it. Because again, until November or so 2019, this particular strain of the coronavirus did not affect human beings. 
So therefore, we don't have any natural immunities to it. And that's why, you know, we've been going through all these public health measures for the last year and a half is because there was the real danger that every person in the world could be sick at once because of this, right? And that would, you know, overwhelm the healthcare system and there isn't enough hospital beds and there isn't enough ventilators. If everybody got sick at once and needed ventilators and needed hospital beds, there's not enough hospital beds in any country to deal with all the people that have the potential of, of developing the worst case scenarios, right? So that's why we're, we're doing all these things to, to prevent that. You know, I've been doing a lot of the uh, quote unquote normal stuff during the, uh, you know, the pandemic. I've been going out to get groceries and just very uh, everyday stuff. However, I noticed, uh, Greg, you were playing uh, baseball recently. You've been out playing golf and doing different things. And how are uh, how are you dealing with uh, all of these things? You're a very busy guy. So, I mean, you're always out and about. How are you noticing the changes in your everyday life? Well, uh, you know, last summer it was it was very difficult, uh, you know, with, without lacrosse, without softball, without summer hockey, without things being open, restaurants being only open for as a terrace and, and all these different things. Right. So also not being really mentally prepared to do some some things. Right. Because, again, last year there was still a lot of unknowns. Uh, and then as we started this year, you know, uh, the first time I won't go play golf. Anytime you're in the common area, even though you're outdoors. They wanted people wearing masks. Uh, the, nobody was supposed to be touching the pins. Nobody could share share a golf cart, things like that. It's getting a little bit different now. Uh, you know, I think the pins can be taken out at certain golf clubs. Masks only have to be worn when you're indoors or if you're in a common area until you get to your seat or when you get up from your seat, then you have to put your mask on. Just different things like that. The mixed softball season started. Everybody had to wear masks when they were playing. Uh, everybody had to, there's only three people out in the dugout. You couldn't have a cooler there with communal uh, refreshments uh, or anything like that. And as things have improved in the community and things have uh, opened up and more, more and more people have been vaccinated, those are being relaxed to the point where, you know, in the last couple of weeks where we've been playing softball, it feels more and more like it did prior to the pandemic. Just to be able to do things that are normal and everyday things it's such a relief and you feel your mental health just being in a better place, you know, hanging out with friends, uh, playing softball and, and, you know, just doing things like that. I mean, you know, it's a lot better, right? Right. Absolutely. And Mark, is there anything that you've done more recently that you haven't had a chance to do throughout the duration of the pandemic? Maybe something with your children or traveling in province, anything like that? Well, there are a few things that have been, that have come back a little piece by piece uh, as this has sort of loosened restrictions a little bit. I'm very happy to be back in gyms. I'm so happy to be back to have a gym available to me again. It's my happy place. The, to add to that, my daughter is also an, uh, an avowed weight trainer and she enjoys it and she goes every day as well. And now my son has started joining us as well. So it's become a real family activity. So I would argue that that has probably been our main source of family togetherness lately. My kids are in their teens and they have their own lives and things they like to do. So that's uh, an activity we do together and can do together and not something we could necessarily do previously. So I'm really glad to have that back. And that's probably the most important thing at this point. Well, the pandemic uh, certainly isn't over. COVID-19 is going to be around for a while. So, of course, we're encouraging everybody to remain vigilant. And with that being said, please keep it locked to your Day so you can find out the latest what's going on with all the COVID-19 updates.
We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, some land development that's going on in Shadigi. This is another story that our editor, Greg, has really been following. So, Greg, if you could try to give us a little bit of update about what's going on with the Longhouse on Route 207. Yeah, so uh, on July 1st, while many people in the community were participating in rolling blockade uh, for Cancel Canada Day, there was a group of men from the Longhouse uh, who met at the Longhouse on 207 and then drove out to the end of the old Chattagy Road and then started cutting trails and making a, a, a land reclamation camp in a parcel of land. Part of it is is now returned to Ganawage. It was done so in 2018. It's called Parcel E, which was returned as a part of 700 acres that was identified to return to Ganawage from Quebec because 700 or so acres were alienated from the Seigneurie so St. Louis land grievance for the construction of Highway 30. However, another portion of that land is still technically Shadigi. And in March or April, the Shadigi City Council approved of a zoning change that would allow the construction of 290 houses, which included single family homes, row houses, and duplexes. And that plan would also include the extension of Maple Boulevard or Maple Street from Shadigi right to the old, old Shadigi Road, which would have cut right through Parcel E as well. So this was a, an initiative from the Longhouse to say, well, we're not going to stand for that. This is this land has historically been Ganawage, even though it, it technically considered part of the municipality of Shadigi. But they said, okay, we're going to occupy it. We're not going to allow any development to happen here. And it was also, you know, part of Cancel Canada Day. They decided to roll out at the same time. And then the Shadigi mayor issued a statement saying there no permits have been issued. There was no plans that were definitive. However, a developer on its website had a complete plan with layout and streets and, and everything and a map of that land. On their website, we started asking some questions uh, as what's going on. Why is this here? The, the city said, well, that's on the developer, but we didn't approve anything. No permits have been issued and there's no timeline. We'll be talking with um, the federal government, provincial government to see how this can be remedied and uh, go on the developer's website now. And, and all mentions of that plan are, are gone. Really? <laughs> yeah. And mm -hmm. there's there's even more irony in it, too, because of the fact that they wanted to use that land for for housing. Yes. And a lot of people here in the community are saying we're in desperate need of, of housing. So have you been hearing a lot of those? those oh, same yeah. Things? You know, and, and that's that, that's the thing, right? There's a housing issue in the community, you know, with uh, people being able to find places to rent land to build on, you know, because everything that's all the land for development is going through its own issues right now with cleaning up from uh, the asbestos issue. So so there's a lot of there's a lot of that play here. Right. And then that was one of the things that uh, the Longhouse had said was that. It's insulting that Shadigi is planning to do, uh, build 290 new homes when there's people in our community that are struggling to find places to live and have to move out of town uh, in, in some cases, right? And the location of, the, of this development would also mean an increase in potential traffic in the community, right? It would end up being, you know, using the, the old Shadigi road and... You know, and, and again, it's just, it, you know, more troublesome for community members to see something like this. Right. So this is an issue that's, I think, very difficult and has has a lot of moving pieces. 
Right. Housing, housing uh, issues have always seemed to come up in one way or another over the years in our community. We always hear every so often, I mean, pretty close to, to election seasons, too, we hear talk, people start talking about housing and the need to um, address situations for community members uh, of all ages. And one of the things that uh, we recently heard of in the community here, Mark, was that we're going to have a new paratransit bus in the community. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about that? Because I know that you did some writing on that recently. It's very exciting, frankly, if you are a person with limited mobility here in the community, if you are a person who's having some trouble getting around, if you're a person with needs that can't be met just by your own sort of hand, it is a a remarkable piece of freedom. It's a 24-7 new paratransit bus that can accommodate if I'm not mistaken, up to 14 people or 12 people in two wheelchairs or 11 people in three wheelchairs, 24-7, all you got to do is call Connecting Horizons. There's a number for the moment we have in the paper is the Connecting Horizons phone number, but they're going to have a dedicated phone number for the paratransit bus within a few months. And all a community member has to do is call them up and say, I need a lift to such and such a place. And they're going to be able to accommodate them on the regular. It's fantastic. That being said, there's also going to be some preset routes. You're going to have post office, bank, uh, medical offices, the hospital. Frankly, it is a win-win-win if you are a person of limited mobility here in the community because with the KMHC bus being down, there was literally no options for someone with limited mobility. And now there are, and it's remarkable, and I'm thrilled that I was able to report it. Yeah, it seems like it has uh, everything it needs to to be a success because this isn't the first time that there's been an idea to have implement some sort of bus service uh, here in the community. I know they've tried in, in different ways by uh, renting some of the, uh, the buses from Public Works, using a school bus as sort of a point A to B thing here in the community. So seeing things like that for trying to reach out for more and more community members to get them access to more services and where they need to be. It's it's really great to see that here in the community. Yeah, so, for real. Mark, uh, at the press conference, you spoke to uh, Michael Dell, mm-hmm. who's in a wheelchair. And he obviously doesn't drive and, and, you know, it's not easy for him to get around. But through this, now now he's, he's able to get some freedom, right? And, you know, that's a huge thing. And for community members who, especially over the last year and a half, have been relatively shut in uh, and not really having a lot of freedom to go anywhere because they can't just b- pick up and go. This is going to be a game changer for them, right? A hundred percent. You really hit the nail on the head, actually, with that. With We're talking about 16 months of pandemic. The isolation that some of these people have had to feel, you know, it's it's one thing if you're, say, an introvert and, you know, it's, it's you know, you don't have to go out and hang out with people and that's, and that's, and that's okay. But for a lot of people with limited mobility, that's not a choice they can make. They were isolated. They were shut into their homes. Uh, their ability to... Uh, feed themselves, their ability to look after themselves, take care of their own medical appointments, and, and even just to enjoy a little bit of leisure uh, was next to nil. And frankly, the uh, allowing them to have that freedom now, the freedom to just go out, go to dinner, maybe see a movie, that that warms my heart. That's the kind of story that is, it's, it's every journalist likes to write those because there's literally no downside. So we're able to get more and more of our community members out into our actual community. We're able to get them outside of our community. However, there have been some concerns recently about people coming from outside of our community and inside to our community. The idea, of course, of Community Watch is in in various uh, 
neighborhoods, certain sections of the community. We know that the uh, new development area is almost always on social media. People are reporting, uh, seeing non-locals in the area. They're, they're suggesting that, you know, maybe these people are, are not here for, for good intentions. But what have you been hearing about this kind of stuff? You know, yeah, there's certain areas of community like the new development in Lot 106 that there are no businesses and there's really no reason for a lot of non-community members to be in those areas of the community, right? Unless they're, they're going to visit a friend or, or delivering food or, or, or something of that sort. So when there's, there's people who are or not from the community that are seen in these areas, it, you know, it, it raises uh, some red flags and, and, and the alarm bells start going. And so, you know, there's, there's been some people who've been very vocal and, and trying to get things moving to, to protect the community. And there's been a group on Facebook that's been called Community Watch, uh, where people are looking to, to organize volunteers to, to go out on patrol and to keep an eye out for any suspicious activity and the, the Mohawk Council Ganawagi and the Ganawagi Peacekeepers just issued a joint press release saying that this is an initiative that they support, but there's also some parameters that need to be followed and discouraging people from trying to intercept vehicles, stop vehicles, but to try to get a license plate number, a description of the vehicle, description of the people who are in the vehicle and provide it to the peacekeepers and give a location, direction they're heading and, you know, and, and to report the suspicious activity because the peacekeepers are trained to deal with people in these situations, right? The last thing we want is for somebody, a community member to go and, and try to intercept somebody and, and it ends badly because if somebody's in the community for nefarious intents and just some volunteer community member tries to stop them, it could end very badly. And, and we don't want a tragedy to occur as a result of people trying to do good, something good, right? Yeah, especially like you said, if there are people are, are trying to, they want, there are a lot of people out there that just want to protect the community. They want to protect the youth. They feel like, you know, because that's uh, something that's being reported on, on social media more and more too, is that people are, are concerned about our youth being targeted by, you know, non-locals or whoever might be coming into the community and just sort of uh, riding around, taking a look at things. So yeah. there's a lot of concern. We have to try to also realize and understand that there, there's going to be people who are who are non-native and non-community members who are going to come to the community for legitimate reasons, you know, whether they're working here or have other business to attend to here or, or they're just people who want to come to the community to learn more about the community. So we have to try to balance all that out, right? And it's good that we're, that people are taking an initiative just needs to be done in a way that's going to be safe for everybody involved. Right. And Mark, uh, you don't live in Gunawage, obviously, but you do work here. So you're coming into the community and I could see that you're getting a little antsy over there. You must have a few comments to make. I, I think the initiative is fantastic. I think a neighborhood watch, a community watch, it is a fantastic method of A, letting people be engaged in looking after the neighborhood and B, helping support the peacekeepers in their mandate. As Greg said, it's always a concern that people don't try to intercept vehicles or try to do police work. Because as you say, my concern when that happens is always, man, someone's going to get hurt. As you said, the kind of people who might come to the community for nefarious purposes aren't necessarily going to be the types who are just going to stop and let someone in the community stop them and ask them questions. It may end badly, as Greg says. And so that's my greatest concern. If we're talking about an initiative where you're the eyes and the ears of the peacekeepers, you're giving information, you're passing it on. I think that is 
extremely credible. It's, as Greg says, when people go too far, and I've seen it in non-native communities as well. I've seen it where people are like, oh, we're going to put up roadblocks with rifles, and that's uh, it's a little on the scary side. So, you know, my concern is always let the peacekeepers handle those situations. It would be my advice. Right. I mean, obviously, uh, they're, they're, we have the peacekeepers in place for that reason. But of course, again, there's no reason why uh, community participation and people can very much like to be involved in the community and feel like they're, they're looking out for the betterment of our people. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, about 10 years ago too, the, uh, the longhouse had started patrols again. There was, there was a couple of home invasions and things like that. So a group of volunteers coordinated by the longhouse had done nightly patrols and it lasted for a few months, but again, it was all volunteer. And, and, and after the threat, or the perceived threat died down, so did the interest, and they really didn't go anywhere after that. And uh, you know, it's nice to see that um, there are people that are that are very concerned and very much want to take an active role in in helping to protect the community. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how that continues to develop. Certainly, over the next uh, couple of weeks. I just wanted to talk about some of our uh, usual sights and sound that we're we're treated to here in the community, summer after summer. However. Um, we didn't have the echoes of a proud nation powwow for this would be the the second consecutive July. We're used to uh, singing, dancing, the drumming and all the smell of all the great food coming from Cattery Island. However, we were still treated to an event uh, on a smaller scale, but we still got our uh, taste of powwow, if you will. Yeah, well, there was a pop up powwow, which was held on what would have been powwow weekend. It was on uh, July 10th. And, you know, the, the powwow w- would have been that same weekend. It was actually a an initiative of uh, a couple of local entrepreneurs uh, who got together and said, we need to do this. And it's open only to the community. It was held at Messy Kitchen and it was organized by Messy Kitchen. Uh, she holds the Sky Creations, uh, a couple other local businesses. Kanawake Tourism was involved and there was some people, you know, there was singing and dancing uh, right in the parking lot there. And it, it was it was a really fun event. I was there for about an hour or so. It was it was really nice to see. And they were starting to, to estimate as many as uh, possibly 400 people throughout the day. So that I think that just goes to show you how hungry People are for for powwow and to see dancing, and I saw your uh, your nephew tearing it up also. <laughs> oh yeah, he loves to dance, and uh, you know he was really excited that there was an opportunity to do so. No, oh, that's, that's great. Awesome. It's it's great. Like Mark was mentioning earlier, as a reporter, you love to be able to report on on those stories, especially when it involves those kids, the talented kids we have here in the community. But speaking of feel good stories, uh, James Day. Our local um, master, uh, what do we call him? Our our master horror mastermind. He uh, he brought Halloween to Gunawage in July by by way of a haunted drive-by. Greg, did you have the opportunity to check? I, that I, out? I didn't. I, I I didn't have a chance to get out there. But our videographer Brady Cross was out there, and uh, he got a lot of good video and uh, some good pictures, and it looked like a lot of fun. So not not only was it fun, not only was it scary, not only was it colorful, not only did it look like uh, dozens of, of horror movie sets, but it was also a fundraiser. And uh, they brought in a little over $2,100 nice. and yep. just about a full truck full of non-perishable food items for the Orville Stand-Up Memorial Food Basket. And of course, that's that's my, my late grandfather, so I'm always happy to see fundraisers being held, but... 
I mean, it helps a lot of people in the community. I think before the pandemic, the food basket was looking somewhere around 70 families. But I think these days it's closer to about 110, 112 families. Yeah. So, so this is, for. you know, any, any time there's fundraiser for, for the food basket, it's very important, right? Um, because it, it's one of those initiatives that, that helps people directly in the community and is much needed. I mean, especially now as the pandemic is hopefully winding down, that the responsibility for emergency food has been transferred back from KSCS to the food basket, right? Because throughout the pandemic, it was jointly administered by by Corey and the food basket and uh, KSCS, and now it's uh, slowly being being transferred back to to the Orville Stand Up Memorial Food Basket. Yeah, it's such an important service in the community, and it's nice to know that people are always conscious of it and are always always thinking of the food basket. I think that it's one of the remarkable endeavors that this community puts together. Um, I, I honestly, you could take the Orville Stand Up Food Basket program, you could drop it into any non-native community outside of Gunawage, and it would be, it would be a remarkable initiative. And frankly, we don't see enough of it. The idea of community members looking after community members, to me, is one of those things that's a natural. And it isn't always, and I'm thrilled to see it. It's shameless plug time. If you check out our front page last week, we have a great photo of that haunted Halloween drive-by with a Jason Voorhees in full Jason Voorhees regalia. And it's a remarkable photo. I highly recommend getting a look at it. I highly recommend checking out the video on our website. It is remarkable. It's just, uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg too when it comes to James Day's uh, collection. Because if you ever talk to this guy like I do regularly now because of all the events he's putting on, all these great things he's doing, I'm talking to the guy all the time and he's always buying new props and He's always thinking of wanting to show this stuff off to the community. He has, uh, and I know he has some more tricks up his sleeve too. Yeah, you know, and, and, and there, there's another fundraiser coming on Friday, the 13th of August. Uh, you know, and that that's going to be a, a James Day initiative with Crazy Horse, uh, who's going to be uh, one of our new distributors for, for Yuriwaze. Nice. And they're teaming up to put something together very special. So we'll... Uh, Jordan's going to have uh, have something for that uh, this coming week, and uh, we're going to go from there. I can't wait. I can't wait. I love writing about this stuff. I mean, I feel like a little kid writing about it and, and actually attending these events. My children love these events, and it's clear that everybody else does too. 100%. Everybody should check out next week's edition to see what Jordan's going to have on tap. We're talking, of course, about summertime in Gunawage, and with that means that we are finally starting to see more and more sports but before we get to sports on our, our very local level the olympics yes. are happening yes and uh people from gunawage are watching maybe with a little bit more interest this year because some of the people that are participating with connections to gunawage oh yeah for sure and and jordan you did a really good article a couple weeks ago about mark granger who everybody knows as nipper from onage and uh and his there uh, right now for, for his fifth Olympics as a coach, right? Right. Not, not just one Olympic games that he gets to attend, but this is the fifth time that he's going. And of course he's with the, uh, the women's canoe team. He's no stranger to paddling. Of course, like you were mentioning, Greg, longtime Onage coach, uh, also a longtime gym teacher. Of course, people would remember uh, Nipper from that. But there's also, there's more Umwehunwe people participating in the Olympics. Yes, right? there's a woman, her name is Jillian Weir. She's participating in athletics in the 
uh, women's hammer throw, as you're, you're listening to this, should be coming to an end. She's, uh, her grandmother is from Tyndanega. Her father was born in England and his parents were from Jamaica. She was born in California, I believe. And then they moved to Ontario uh, when they were young and then uh, lived in the Kingston area. Then she went out to school, I think in Oregon. She participated in uh, track and field. Her, her father was actually an Olympian for Great Britain in 1984, uh, Los Angeles Games. And again, in the 2000, 1996 and 2000 games. So, you know, she has an Olympic history and now she's going as, you know, in, in, in her first Olympics, really looking forward to seeing her compete. I know that you're, you're a very busy man, Greg. Have you had the opportunity to watch any Olympics yet? Uh, I have, I have. It's, uh, it's good because it comes on live uh, in the middle of the night. So <laughs> when I'm finally settling down for the day, I get to uh, get, get to watch some of it. Or when you're starting your next editorial, of course, in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, Mark, uh, have you been catching any of the Olympics? I have been, I love volleyball. I can't get enough indoor team volleyball. I'm a huge volleyball fan. So I've been watching, uh, I watched Canada play Japan the other day and that was fun. Japan's really good. The U.S. is really good. It's a blast. I, I can't get enough Olympics. And still no uh, lacrosse over at the uh, the Olympics yeah. yet, though, eh, Greg? Hopefully for the uh, 2024. 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 24? Or 28. No, 2028 20, 20 in Los yeah. Angeles. They, mm -hmm. They're looking at that uh, as being the reintroduction of uh, lacrosse at the Olympics. Just uh, within this last, the last two weeks, uh, the International Olympic Committee officially recognized the World Lacrosse Federation as a full member. And so that's the next step in getting lacrosse into the Olympics. And then it looks like it'll be on the, the Olympic slate for, for the, the Los Angeles Games. And the next fight is to get the Iroquois Nationals as a recognized member to compete there, which is... I think an important thing that needs to be done. I mean, some of the top lacrosse players in the world are, are Haudenosaunee and some of the top lacrosse players who aren't Haudenosaunee have said publicly over and over again that lacrosse at, at the Olympics needs to include the Haudenosaunee because otherwise you're not truly getting the best in the world to be played. Right. And just starting to to look back a little bit more toward our community for our future Olympians here, we have... Two teams, Gunawage Warhawk squads, that were just, well, to put it lightly, they were simply too good for their division so far this summer, and uh, they had to be to be moved up. And I know that, Greg, you've had the opportunity to take in a lot of games from from each of the teams. That would be the, the U18 Warhawks as well as the U15 Warhawks. So, I mean, being that close to the teams and having the opportunity to, you know, not film, take pictures of them, um, what have you seen from either of those squads the, this year? The, the, those teams are, are are both very good. They have a lot of potential. Their their coaching is is very good, but they their players are are phenomenal. And just you know, there's there's some new players this year. Uh, new to I mean, and there's a lot of new players, new athletes to, to the sport of baseball because there's no lacrosse, right? So so we're getting athletes from from other from from lacrosse trying a new sport, but because they're athletes, they're, it's a natural fit for them, right? And you're you're just seeing, uh, you know, the U15 team. Uh, they're they're gelling right now, and and uh, you know they're they're playing very well. They're beating teams. I think their final game in the B division, they 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 won eighteen to six or something like that. Wow. 
the U18 team, they're, they're from top to bottom. They're very talented. Their coaching staff is, they're all lifelong baseball fans and they play very well. You know, they're, they're hitting the ball, uh, you know, very good. They're fielding their defense is, is pretty top notch too. So one of the things that I, I learned from listening to Brandon Bordeaux's podcast with us called the cycle, you know, was that in minor baseball, you can't use a pitcher for more than 20% of, of your total innings pitched. So that becomes a juggling act for, for the coaching staff is, you know, you might find, find a pitcher that's really good, but you can't use them the entire season for every game, right? Because it's only 20%. So you have to be very careful after you get to a certain amount of innings pitch to, to be able to say, okay, well, we need to save some of these innings for later in the season and the playoffs. So, so that's becoming a challenge. And, and, and then because of that, you're, you're, there's other players that are able to try out pitching and discover that they're also very good at it. Right. They're going to be able to start taking all parts of the field at, at this age, which is great because like you said, they're, they're multi-talented in, in all aspects. But um, one of the things that we've discussed before is how sports have, or just any kind of physical activity is so important for us and our, our mental health. But we're really, really seeing it with, you know, more and more sports coming up now for the kids. So I'm sure that you're happy you mentioned that earlier, Mark, that your children are back into the swing of things, if you will. I actually really can't express my elation. I'm not sure if it's coming through the microphone right now, but I am absolutely elated to have those sports back for my kids because frankly, it makes them so happy. They come home spent. They're tired. They've used their bodies. There's no fighting. Their endorphins are good. Their mental health is good. They're happy. They're with their friends. My daughter recently uh, got to play in a hockey tournament again for the first time in 16 months. She was elated over the moon to play in that tournament. Um, my son's lacrosse has picked back up football, basketball. It's all up and running. There are games. We're very excited. And frankly, uh, it's if you're a sports parent, I feel like that has been the thing that has been the biggest transition for a lot of us in the last little while. It's what to do with ourselves and what to do with our children. You know, gentlemen, for as much as, as we've been able to discuss today, I think you guys can agree that this is only just scratching the surface in terms of July in Gunawage and some of the news and things that have happened. Yeah, I mean, th this was a very busy month. Uh, we Even even though we took a, a, a week off, uh, you know, for, for our own mental health and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, needing to recharge. But there was a lot of things that we covered, uh, you know, and... and there's a lot of videos that are available that we of, of all the stories that we covered. Uh, you know, if you check out our, our website at kanawaganews.com, uh, you can see all our videos. You can see all of our podcasts. If you look us up on, on social media at uh, Yurdiwaze on, on Facebook or at Yurdiwaze on Instagram, uh, you know, you can see a lot of the pictures that we've, we have, uh, a lot of the stories and, and uh, links to our podcasts and, uh, and videos. So. With that, that particularly busy July just about behind us, is there anything that you gentlemen are looking for forward to, rather, for the month of August? I'm looking forward to football season starting. I had a great conversation with uh, Shattagay Raiders head coach, uh, the Pee Wee head coach, the other day. He was telling me about how he has a tremendous contingent of kids from town on his team this year looking to make a huge impact. Uh, I coach football in the West Island. I'm very excited about getting back, and I'm super excited about my son's team playing against that Shattagee team because that's going to be a tilt to remember. 
Greg, I know that you have always have a full brim to the schedule, <laughs> but uh, is there anything that you're looking forward to either covering or actually doing in August? Uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, football starting because, again, that's something that we can get some some nice pictures and videos of. And then hockey season, uh, hopefully not far behind, you know, and then just everything, you know, starting to return to normal. Uh, hopefully by September, you guys are back in the office, you know, rather than working from home for most of the time, uh, you know, and then, then, then we go from there. And I think as bleak as, as some of the last 16 months have been, I think the, the prospect of, of things returning to normal is, you know, that much more exciting. Right. And, okay. and, and, and seeing, you know, just be able to report on things that are normal and, uh, you know, high school sports, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, all the little things and that, 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 you know, we've, we've taken for granted, uh, you know, before the pandemic that, that were, you know, taken away from us uh, because of the pandemic and, and looking forward to, to, to those things. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm looking forward to having a little bit of free fun. I'm going to be uh, visiting the, uh, the new community beach with uh, my children yeah. soon now that that's open. And then we'll probably stop by the new mini putt and Ooh, take yes. a look at that too over on uh, Sesame Park. So there's certainly a lot to look forward to in August. So make sure that you're checking out your Iwase for all of the news and details on everything that's going on in the community. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you, Mark and Greg, for joining me here today and putting up with me for again for a little while. Yeah, no problem at all. And again, we also want to thank the Community Media Strategic Support Fund for, for supporting the, the multimedia initiatives that we're doing, which includes this podcast. 